How's everybody tonight? Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, open up. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes for six weeks. That's the plan. All you have to do is make it six weeks. And then we will be in Song of Solomon. <laughs> Which, uh, depending on your outlook, could be infinitely better than Ecclesiastes. As we come to Ecclesiastes, remember we kind of touched on the ideas last week. There are probably two authors to the book Ecclesiastes. Kohelet, uh, who is um, uh, translated in most of our Bibles as the preacher. Maybe some of them have him as the teacher. Um, Kohelet could be a, um, a term also that kind of points to uh, philosopher. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that tonight as we look at it. But nonetheless, he's going to make up the body. So Kohelet is the monologue. He's the monologue. He's the, uh, if, you, if you will, he's the actor on the stage going through from uh, chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 12, verse 7. Roughly that's all his monologue he's going to provide. His philosophy, his understanding of what is the meaning of life and uh, and the wrestling that he has with it. And he's going to follow things uh, that follow traditional philosophical views. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. Bracketed, Kohelet's uh, monologue is bracketed by the narrator. We don't know who either one is. Most tradition says Kohelet is Solomon. Um, and they and they do that because of the first two chapters, and that's it. There's 12 chapters, so the other 10 chapters aren't going to match up Solomon's life. The first two will. He's going to talk about wisdom and pleasure and all the craziness that was Solomon's life. And I think Solomon's life is definitely a model that Kohelet, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is building on, and he's pointing to this concept of trying to find meaning under the sun. Life under the sun. Life with a God who's distant. There's a God out there somewhere, but He doesn't really touch our lives. He's going to refer to that several times in the first 12 chapters. That monologue is bracketed by the concept that the narrator brings, because the narrator is going to point to Kohelet's monologue, and he's going to tell his son, Son, listen, this is not the philosophy you want to follow. He's, he's going to say, you focus on the fear of God and following his commandments. These are the sum of all things. That's the wrap-up of the whole book. So the book is intended to be seen as a whole, one speech, one, one talk. We're going, to, we're going to chop it up into six pieces uh, as we go through it, but I don't want us to lose sight that the, the, the concept is you have a narrator saying, hey everybody, listen to Colette. And then Colette gives his spiel, and then the narrator is turning to his son and saying, now son, that's not the philosophy that you want to follow. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the point that Ecclesiastes is making. And it's going to line up, we'll see, today as we look at many of the philosophies that we see uh, around. Philosophy is one of my favorite subjects in school, so... I love philosophy. I love talking about uh, things that make my brain melt. Trying to 
to understand my role in the world. And that's what Coalette's doing. That's what Coalette is doing. We'll see it today, hopefully, as we go through. So the, the, the philosopher, Coalette, what he's saying, in essence, in our language, is the real question of the age is not whether or not we can do something to stop the nuclear holocaust. And the real question of the age is not whether or not we can do something to stop environmental disaster, of how we've been treating our world. The real question of the age is, is life under the sun all there is? Is this it? That's the focus that Coalette has. That's the focus of the preacher, the teacher, the philosopher. He's saying, is this it? Because I've sought for meaning under the sun. 30 times he's going to say that phrase in 12 chapters. 30 times he's going to say, I suffer pleasure under the sun. I, I suffer meaning under the sun. I, I, he's, he is looking for the meaning of life apart from God. And once we remove that, once you take God out of the equation, finding meaning becomes a very difficult concept. As you can see by the three main studies of philosophy... They're all going to be addressed today in Ecclesiastes by Coalette, by the preacher, teacher, philosopher. He's going to address them, though when he addressed them, they didn't have these names. First one is humanism. Humanism, which basically says, the meaning of life is to live my life out here in such a way that I leave this place better than I found it. I'm going to, I'm going to live my life so that so that my name lasts. So people remember me. I've made an impact on the world. That's a philosophy in our world today. If you pay attention to any of the award shows on TV, the Oscars, the Emmys, the Grammys, uh, I don't even care which ones, you'll hear people utilize that philosophy when they get up and give their acceptance speech. Trying to make this world a better place. Trying to make, that's the philosophy of humanism. Then you have the philosophy of hedonism. Hedonism is the meaning of life is get as much pleasure as you can. Get as much pleasure as you can. Life's short. You're going to die. Live for now. Live for what you can get now. But Colette is going to say he did that. And pleasure was empty. Colette's going to say I did that, but everybody is going to forget my name as soon as I'm gone. Colette's going to say these philosophies come up empty. The last one is existentialism. Existentialism basically acknowledges that the world's a lousy place, that nothing really in life has any meaning, but you can make the choice to transcend that reality and as much as is possible for you, be a better person. That's existentialism. Life is circling the drain. Everything has no meaning, but I'm going to transcend that and I'm going to live my life in a better way. I'm going to live my life. Uh, but the, the thing is, the main existentialist, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, he said this, Life is meaningless. But let the world be senseless. I won't be. Let the world be merciless. I won't be. My life is meaningless, but I'm going to be humanitarian in the face of it anyway. He said, that didn't find me meaning either. How could it? Where do you get this standard? How do you say heaven is unfair unless you appeal to a standard of fairness that is in some way higher than heaven still? 
How do you know there is even such a thing? Do you see what the philosopher is doing? His bottom line, the philosopher is pushing and pushing and pushing uh, you to say there's no middle ground. Either there is a God and there's meaning there, or there is no God and there's no meaning. That's the message. That's the message of Kohelet as he continues to share. So let's take a look at Kohelet's journey into the meaning of life under the sun. The first 11 verses, we talked about this last time, first 11 verses are the bracket, the introduction by the narrator. Now we're caught up to the preacher, we're caught up to him. Verse 12, I the preacher have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out with, uh, by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. This is what he's saying. God has given me the task to find the meaning of life. This is a question that through this, the next 11 chapters, he's trying to answer. The meaning of life, life under the sun. What is the meaning of life? It's an unhappy business. It's a hard task. I, I can't find the meaning because Kohelet is trying to find the meaning apart from God. We're going to see, we're going to read some of the quotes of modern day philosophers when we get to the end of, of chapter 2 tonight. And when we look at it, it's going to sound just like Ecclesiastes from a couple thousand years earlier. So here's one thing he got right. There's nothing new under the sun. We still think the same way. We still wrestle the same way that we used to wrestle. We still struggle with some of those same ideas. Look what he says. He's saying, why are we here? Why are we here? Verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's, it's meaningless. That's the same thing Jean-Paul Sartre said. It's meaningless. Life is meaningless. What's the point of life? Go, go get, go satisfy, go do all these things. But life has no meaning. Why did, did Jean-Paul Sartre say that? Why did Nietzsche say that? Why did they struggle in this same way? Why does Dostoevsky say the same thing? Why do they struggle this way? Because they start on the premise, there is no God. They start on the premise, there is no God, and they say, now life under the sun is empty. Where's my purpose? I removed it. I removed it when I made the proclamation that God is dead when he's not. You see, we find the answers to all these struggles that the preacher, the teacher, the philosopher here in Ecclesiastes is struggling with. We find all those answers in Christ. <clears throat> we find all those answers in the touch of God on his people as we study through Genesis to Revelation. But here in Ecclesiastes, they lay out for us the struggle of man's thought. Some people would call it this. The, the fall of man has damaged man's reasoning the, the phrase is called the, the, the noetic fall. The noetic doesn't stand for Noah. It just means man has fallen in every aspect. His ability to reason, his ability to think, his ability to, to deal with his environment. It's all part of the fall. And part of that fall is a rebellion against a desire to push God out. And as soon as we push God out, life loses its meaning. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. He's going to say... 
under the sun 30 times, like 39 times, you're going to say it's meaningless. Vanity, 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 vanity. Striving after the wind. Think about what that is. How many of us spend a day chasing the wind? Doesn't make much sense. What happens if you catch it? What do you got? A handful of nothing, right? That's what he's, t- he's talking about. The emptiness of life. He said you can't catch it. If you do, you don't have anything. Look at verse 15. What is crooked can't be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. There's no real power within us to affect any real change. He said that in chapter 1. The narrator said that in the beginning. He said one of the things that the preacher, teacher, philosopher is going to talk about is he's going to talk about the idea that nothing in this world has really changed. We're still struggling the same. We're still fighting the same fight, aren't we? Isn't fallen man still struggling to, to find his way? And you may have seasons of better or worse But apart from a life surrendered and focused on serving the Lord, you end up right where he is. Meaningless. Just like Solomon, right? Who started with so much promise. Who was given the incredible wisdom from God. Yeah, we get a choice to walk in it or not. We're going to see that that was not his choice. All we have to do is look at his life. He started beloved of God. He ended his life building temples to other gods. That's how Solomon dies. Solomon dies building other temples for his wives to worship false gods. It's a journey from something that made sense to losing his way. Losing his way and finding himself just exactly where we see some of the struggles we're looking at here. He goes on in verse 16, okay, the next little triad. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more I learned, the more I realized there was more to learn. Is there a a point in our grasping at wisdom where we reach the pinnacle? According to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see now, no matter how wise, we see now through a glass darkly. But when we see our Creator face to face, then we will know even as we are known. You guys understand that the, the journey from our end is, is eternal until we see Him. Because Colossians would tell us that all wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. Yes? So it's always a, it's a movement from us getting closer and closer to him. So, so this playwright who's given this monologue, who's laying out these ideas, he says, man, I had all this wisdom. I saw all these things, and all I realized was there was further to go. No matter how high I climb, no matter how high a mountain you climb, can you touch the moon? You can climb a higher mountain tomorrow. You can go on the highest mountain, but you still fall short, right? Solomon could be the wisest man on earth and still a moron, can he? Or do we decide that we are all have such vaunted knowledge, you know, where we're so close? No, the reality is, it, it, it's, not, it's not this huge leap for Solomon compared to God. Isaiah 55 is still true. What's Isaiah 55 say? 
His ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are what? Higher than my thoughts. His ways are what? Higher than my ways. So there, it's a, it is a greater wisdom the closer we draw to the Lord. And, and so he's saying, the, the, the playwright, the philosopher is saying, yeah, no matter how much wisdom I got, there's still more I need. It's vexation. There's, I, don't, I can't arrive. I can't arrive. Why can't he arrive? Because his view is life, where? Under the sun, without God. God's distant. I, I'm not going to see God. But that's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God says you will see God. And when you do, you will know, even as you are known, that there is a point in which we will arrive in wisdom. But that's not his philosophy. His philosophy is there's no hope under the sun. We're going to hear this over and over again. So he's going to turn from wisdom. He chased wisdom and he found wisdom lacking. Wasn't satisfying his life. So look at chapter 2 verse 1. So I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So what philosophy does he turn to now? Hedonism, right? Oh, life's short. Live for pleasure. Seek all the pleasure you can get. I will find fulfillment in pleasure. So, he said, this is what I did. But behold, here's his statement at the summation of his journey into pleasure. This is also vanity. It was still empty. It was still meaningless. This philosophy didn't answer the question. When we come to Ecclesiastes, understand, Kohelet is just going to ask questions. He's not going to give you answers. It's the narrator at the end of the book that gives you the answer. Kohelet's going to keep asking the questions. I thought I would find the meaning of life in wisdom. But the higher I climbed up wisdom, the less meaning I found. I thought I would find the meaning of life in pleasure, so I sought out pleasure. But still, even seeking pleasure, it was empty. It was meaningless. It wasn't that which satisfies. Isn't that still the message of the world today? Has the message of the world changed that somehow now we can find meaning in life under the sun without God? Man, I don't, I, he, he said in the first 11 verses, right? Your eye is never satisfied. Your eye has never seen so much that it doesn't want to see more. Your ear has never heard so much that it's full. Nope, it wants to hear more. There's always this desire. He said of laughter, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. And how to lay hold of folly on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. How shall we live on this earth? I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions, herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Well, I got singers, 
both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil? Then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. There is or was nothing to be gained under the sun. He denied himself no pleasure. He stopped himself from no venture. He built whatever he wanted to build. He did whatever he wanted to do. He sought the meaning of life and everything that he could do and all the actions that he could give. And yet still, in all of those things, his philosophy is still there's no meaning. There's no meaning to life under the sun. There's nothing that is satisfying. Pleasure left him flat. The search of wisdom left him flat. You want to call the search of wisdom something else? Call it philosophy. Right? What's philosophy mean? Love of wisdom. Sophia is wisdom. Phileo is love. Love of wisdom. The love of wisdom. Search for knowledge. Search for wisdom. So he's looking for all these things to be satisfied. I'm going to answer this question. I'm going to answer the question of why am I here? What is my life for? Is it just he who dies with the most toys wins? What is, the, what is my purpose here? Don't you see, as soon as your philosophy pushes God out, you have no answer. You have nothing to, to plug into, to hold on to, to say, here's what I know. Here's what the Word of God is telling me, how the Word of God would direct me, how God would lay out His plan for my life. No, now it's just me. Just the best laid plans of Jackie. And they're going to come up short. What about your best laid plans? They all worked out? In all your pursuits you found the meaning of life apart from God? Because what Ecclesiastes is laying out for us is that we don't. The next philosophy he turns to is humanism. Look at verse 12. Humanism. The idea I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave this place better. I'm, I'm going to leave my mark on it. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? But only what was done before. Is there some new thing we can do? Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. He says, I get it. The wisdom is better. He's going to tell us why wisdom is better. There's more gain in light than darkness. Right? Nobody likes to turn out the lights. It's better to be able to see where you're going, so wisdom is better. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in the dark. And yet, listen, here's his point. I perceived the same thing happens to all of them. What thing happens to both the wise man and the fool? They die. So, life under the sun, with no hope or, or, or no comprehension of 
something beyond life, then where's the point? I live my life as a wise man, and I spend my life being wise, and I come to the end of my wisdom, and I die just like the fool. The fool lives his life like a fool, walks around in the dark, stumbles everywhere. But we both end up in the same place. We both end up in the ground under the sun. That's the philosophy of this world. Will I leave a mark? Does a wise man leave more of a mark than the fool? For most of us, within one generation, we forget those people who have gone before. Maybe every once in a while there are those who can name all the presidents we've ever had. But I don't think I can. I can remember the ones I really didn't like. And I can remember the ones I did. But I don't know if I'll remember them 20 years from now. Or whether or not that will change. Death is a great equalizer. After death, there's no memory. What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity, emptiness, meaninglessness. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. Now you begin to realize why I'm only going to be here six weeks. Because about four more weeks of this and you're going to beg me to get out of Ecclesiastes. This is him taking his journey with his wisdom apart from God and life under the sun and saying the exact same thing that our philosophy will tell us now. This, these are the same discussions I had in Philosophy 101. Exactly. I could have opened up the book of Ecclesiastes and just about read it in class and been perfectly fine. I would have just had to say, Nietzsche, Nietzsche said, Dostoevsky, here's what he had to say. And I could have quoted anything from Ecclesiastes because it sounds just like him. Sounds just like the philosophy. Is it any wonder that, that when that becomes the love of wisdom for the world, that our world despairs of meaning? Is it any wonder that our world decides that life has no value? Is it really any wonder that our world finds itself in the place that it is? Because that's what life under the sun without God looks like. There is no God. We have to save ourselves. Well, how do we do it? Well, I think we should do it this way. Well, that guy thinks you should do it that way. What right do I have to tell him he's wrong? What if our philosophies are total polar opposites? What if on this side, I'm, I'm one side of the extreme that says only people of a certain color should live anymore and then everything would be fine. And that person on the other side says, no, no, he's wrong. It's only people of a different color. They're the only ones who are supposed to live. Apart from God, what authority do I have to point to to say he's wrong? There is none. If I throw the Bible and God out, what do I have to say that he's not right? Because in the world, life under the sun might makes right, folks. 
You understand why there's no Yugoslavia now, right? You understand the story of the Bosnians and the Serbs? You and I couldn't tell them apart. I bet you money. We have a, a family that's a part of church uh, whose uh, son is, is married to, to one, and I don't remember which side. <laughs> and I promise you don't know. You looked at her, you would not even know. Can't tell. But the hatred between those two groups destroyed a nation. Apart from God, there is no God. We must save ourselves. What makes right? The guy who's got the most bullets. That's what makes right. Or the guy who's got the biggest club. Or the strongest arm. Isn't that how we decided these things before? In ancient times? How do we decide what was right? You throw God out. Your justification for morality is you. What you say is right is right. And there's no way for you to say in a world that is meaningless that the other guy is wrong. So in order to shut down his philosophy, you just need a bigger stick. That's the problem with life under the sun apart from God. Look at verse 18. We, we'll take a little uh, journey into existentialism. Well, even though life is meaningless, we're still going to do our best. He said, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He says, okay, so I'm going to ignore that life is meaningless, and I'm going to still do my best, and I'm still going to build my kingdom, whatever it is, and, and I'm going to rise above the turmoil of existence. But he said, why? I'm going to spend all this effort, and who do I give it to? The next guy who comes along just gets it. In Solomon's life, it was Rehoboam, his son. Solomon said, man, what happens if a man builds a kingdom, and then he has to hand it to a fool? Well, I can tell you what happens. The kingdom gets broke. Divided. And has never been the same since. He said, I'm, I'm going to focus on life, but he said, my toil, what's the point of my toil? Verse 19, who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled. And I used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. Whatever I built, who cares? It's all gone now. None of it was lasting. So is that the meaning of life? All of the answers, all of the philosophies fall short. They don't bring us the answer until we get to chapter 12, verse 9. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart to despair. I gave up over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did nothing for it. Did not toil. He did not suffer. He did not work. Yet he gets the reward of my effort. This also is vanity and great evil. Let me ask you a question. How can the philosopher call anything evil once he has removed God from the equation? There is no God. Then on what basis do you call anything evil? For the philosopher in Ecclesiastes, it's the basis because he don't like it. 
So is that the basis for evil now, what I don't like? I don't like country music. So what are we going to do, Noe? we got a problem. <laughs> we got a pro- How are we going to solve our problem? We're going to just take a vote? Is that the way we'll decide what's evil or what's not evil? Once we remove God from the equation, we have no foundation for morality. So if him saying something is evil, what does that mean? It means it's my opinion. And all truth becomes relative. And you have yours and I have mine and there's no real meaning in any of it. He says in verse 21, Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not. This also is vanity and great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Meaningless. 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 He said, I can't even get rest for my heart. The heart won't rest. That's Hebrew for anxiety. Anybody ever had that? The heart won't rest. He's, he's got anxiety. <clears throat> this is vanity. Someone gets it all. All my effort goes somewhere else. If there is no God, there is no meaning. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. If I take God out of the equation, what do I have left? So he goes on in verse 24. Well then, carpe diem. Everybody know that? Latin phrase which means... Seize the day. I'll just live for the day. Look at that. So there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So the philosopher says, well, God is the only source of enjoyment, but he's so far out there. In life under the sun, can we really have any of this? For to the one who pleases him, God has given knowledge, uh, wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Let me ask you a question. Which person under the heavens is not a sinner? Is there somebody that's not? Okay, so, sorry, philosopher. You, you fail theology 101. <clears throat> that doesn't work. It's not that God gives joy. The Bible says the rain falls on the evil and the just. The sun, when it comes up in the morning, does only shine on those who aren't sinners? The sun shines on everyone. It is, there is something that's called the, uh, oh, I just lost it. It'll come back to me. But the idea is that God, the goodness of God is poured out on the land of the living. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. It's the judgment of God that men must face one day for their actions. But the goodness of God here in the land of the living, the the sun shines on the wicked and the good. The rain falls on the wicked and the good. God pours out His grace on the whole world. And once we reject him, once he's gone, once there is no God, I have come to the place of Ecclesiastes. 
Once I take God and I say he's way out there and he has no effect on way in here. Life has no meaning. He says God only allows limited enjoyment. Why? Because of his distance. He's too far away. And even, even this is meaninglessness and striving after the wind. Even this comes up with a lot of nothing. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. So the first two chapters, so far we have found nothing that has meaning. Right? So one thing everything has in common is it's all meaningless. It all doesn't measure up. It all doesn't equal. Now I just wanted to take a couple of minutes. I'm going to read you straight philosophy. And you tell me the difference. Jean-Paul Sartre said this. God does not exist. We have to face all the consequences of this. The existentialist is strongly opposed to a certain kind of secular ethic which wants to abolish God with the least possible expense. The existentialist indeed thinks it's very distressing that God doesn't exist because all possibility of finding any values disappears with God. There can be no a priori good since there is no infinite and perfect consciousness to think it. So nowhere is it written that we must be honest. Nowhere is it written that we must not lie. Because the fact is, we are on a plane where there is only us. Human beings. Dostoevsky said, If God didn't exist, everything is permissible. That's the starting point of existentialism. If God does not exist, there is nothing within or without that can legitimize any conduct. Now you know what is very interesting. Both Sartre took this idea that life under the sun is all there is, and he says, don't talk to me in any way that says you believe any kind of conduct is more legitimate than any other kind. What's truth? How does it all come together? It all is vanity of vanities. All is vanity, meaningless, and striving after the wind. The same message, the same message that Kohelet, the preacher, the teacher, the philosopher had in Ecclesiastes. One of the things that has come out over the last few years, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, he died in 1980, is what a misogynist he was. He was very bad to the women that he knew. He was very misogynistic. But you know, whenever you tell somebody about this, uh, who accept his philosophy in life, they get upset about it. And they say, well, if he were alive, he would rise up and he would say, he would say, I'm right. He would say, you want to be free. I am free to do whatever I want to do. As far as I know, this life is all there is. I'm not controlled by eternity, by moral absolutes, by God. I want to be free. Then you have to have the guts to realize and recognize and utter the same plea that Kohelet utters in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Those are all quotes straight out of philosophy 101. 
the things that are going on in Ecclesiastes is pointing to the philosophy of the world. That is, what is life like apart from God? And what is life like apart from God? It's meaningless. And it's intended, when we come to Ecclesiastes and we want to look at it, we want to, we want to dissect it and take it apart, Ecclesiastes is, is intended to be looked at as a whole, right? The best way to see it would be with a narrator reading the narration and one guy giving, delivering the monologue through 12 chapters. Then it all makes sense. Life under the sun is meaningless. Only the pursuit of God makes sense. That's the point that we're driving to as we continue our journey through Ecclesiastes. Amen? Why don't you stand with us? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to take a look at life under the sun. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to recognize that the only place that we find any answers is in you. The only place I find a reason, a justification for morality is in you. The only place I find a justification for why I should not do this and why I should do that is in you. And if I abandon that reality, then I truly, like the book of Proverbs says, I start to follow the path of the fool. Who, Ecclesiastes said, the preacher, the philosopher laid out, is like a man walking in the darkness and not knowing where he's going. God, your word declares there's two paths. And you call me to choose the path of life. The path wherein I follow Christ. The one within whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The justification for everything we know to be true in this world is only found, is only grounded in a life surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us see. Help us recognize the despair of this man in Ecclesiastes who's saying, look at Solomon's life. Look how it started. Look how it ended. And he's going to continue down that road of despair further and further and further, finding no meaning. That's life under the sun. How long will we look for the answers in life under the sun? Because the answers are found in life in the Son to abide in Christ that's where it's found that's where it makes sense that's what Solomon lost from the time when he was 12 years old and he was small in his own eyes to when he was rich and wealthy and powerful and he was big in his own eyes God, may we put our eyes firmly on you and know you're the answer. You're the key. Unlock the door as we study this book, God, and be glorified in and through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.